The Cyber Menace podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Listen responsibly. Well, good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Cyber Minutes podcast. My name is Max, and today I'm joined by Flynn, and our special guest, Cohen, has returned again. So thank you so much, Cohen, for coming on. It's a pleasure having you here, as always. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So something that Flynn and I sort of discuss, um, you know, we kind of discuss it almost every day, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's um, well, something we're quite passionate about. Passionate about is this whole notion of Australia being the most cyber-secure nation by 2030. A couple things. Do you think it's achievable? Do you have any insights on it? And what do you think about these new sanctions being put towards an individual, like what we've seen with the person kind of blamed for the Medibank attack? So first, uh, answer your first initial question. At this rate, no, I don't think that's obtainable. I think that's a it's a great goal to have, but it's it's a very loofy one. Uh, I think it's yeah, Claire O'Neill, the uh, Cabinet Minister for Cybersecurity or Home Affairs, it might be now. I think it's changed since really? potentially. You might have to check that. She's the cybersecurity. Yeah, she, yeah, she's the, she's uh, on LinkedIn. She's yeah, primarily speaks about cybersecurity, but sometimes occasionally talks about other topics. Yeah, Home Affairs. No, I don't think we're going to be gaining there by 2030. Uh, especially not the number one. In fact, like. Uh, I hope we can strive to be in top five. Mm. When it comes to like uh, cyber operations and warfare, uh, A, we don't have the capacity to do that, and B, I don't think we're willing to be uh, an adversary in the space. Like, If you look at the US, if you look at China, if you look at Israel as well, like they're all very, very active in uh, cyber warfare, and they're one of the most, it's Russia specifically. They're one of the most prolific attackers in the space. And I think India is actually closely following one of the most um, prolific adversaries in the space. And that's changing because more and more people are now getting access to like uh, internet and that kind of infrastructure. Uh, what can we do to ensure we get there? I mean, it's I think it's ridiculous that we have very large-scale corporations that aren't even doing the fundamentals. Like, uh, I, I'm a very security-esque advocate, if you will. Like, I know I myself quite privacy secure, but, like, that really varies. And like, I can explain that in depth, but, like, companies, I feel like they should always aim to be the absolute most secure that they can potentially be without, like, completely sacrificing uh, productivity. Like, unfortunately, there's a bit of a trade-off between um, convenience and security. Like, you always, at the end of the day, that lack of convenience, that sacrifice of convenience is what's likely going to save you. It's a small cost to pay at the end of the day, and it'll it'll become habit eventually. But no, um, it, when I'm seeing every single company continuously failing, even though they have like some strong commitment to security, or they say they do, uh, we're just continuously seeing them fail time and time again. And it's like I'm talking about giants and like specific industries uh, aren't even doing things right. Or like there are there's fantastic people in those companies that like are really like advocating for security and like take our advice seriously and i love it when i see that but unfortunately like the is everything's working against them like you can't win when one person like one sizo or a, a cso whatever it is uh, i think it is sizo or v size if you will uh, it's a funny story with the, the legalities of that lately but when one person is responsible for 25,000 or 50,000, no, sometimes even half a million different endpoints. Yeah. What can they do? 
Yeah. I feel like with sizos, it's often like one step forward, two steps back, where it used to be just like treated like complete shit or non-existent, really. And then it was, you know, sizes are coming in. Um, and it's really just that at the end of the day, they're a scapegoat. They don't get the resourcing. They barely even speak to the C-suite. They're, yeah. they're not talking to the board. They're talking to the CFO. And a lot of the time it's in the CFO's best interest to ignore that because you're just trying to save money. Yeah. And then they talk to the board. Thankfully, recently, uh, like CPS 234, I harp on about that a lot. You know, a lot of the requirements are you've got to be talking to the board. The board needs to be actively challenging yeah. Um, yeah. security decisions, which is good to see. But, you know, as you said, there's a big difference between, you know, written documentation and the actual action. Absolutely. I feel like there's this weird disconnect with like the C-suite. Like, I get the sense that companies see security, and I guess it's true to some extent, that security is a cost center. But the way I see security personally, it's like it allows you to do certain, oh, it allows you to carry out functionality or serve the masses safely. Like if you want to have some functionality and you want to offer that to the world, like, you you know, with our current rules and policies that our countries have, like you need to offer a secure solution. And there really shouldn't be a divide between security and development. Like uh, I you can't like appropriately secure an, app, like, an application after it's been developed. It's so much harder to do that. Like you need to implement DevSecOps uh, during development, and it has to be somewhere in the development lifecycle. And we're not, we're just not seeing that with Australia. We don't have that in our development practices. Like if you go study computer science, they maybe they'll cover a content or like a course or two on cybersecurity. But like there, there's, we're not really educating our new developers with a with security. Uh, as you know, something they should care about. It's like an afterthought. Like, yeah. and someone else will manage that. Someone else will catch whatever vulnerability we have. But like, no, it has to be the developers. You guys, they're like, well, I, I, I have a formal background and development. I, I've done work as a contract software developer. Like, I get the sense. Like, I hope I can <laughs> secure, um, so develop securely. Uh, I'm not amazing. I'm not a full fledged software developer, nor will I be anytime soon. But I feel like I can code, and most of my solutions, I typically code for myself like all my projects and developments i code for myself but i feel like really rookie developers use that same like mentality like oh this is you know i'm going to code this for myself and then they you know have these assumptions of how software should be built and then when it gets pushed to production it's with like this home lab uh, rookie poorly developed uh, software or any kind of solution and we just need to have more secure developers, and there's, there's such an important calling for that, and I'm just not seeing that being answered. It's funny you say that because we've had um, Flynn on, who's a software developer by trade, and same exactly he said, and that's coming from someone who's a software developer, not primarily security, and he basically said one of the big problems is they don't talk about security at all. One of the examples he used is they did a project and they were going through... Um, uh, it was a static code analysis tool. I can't remember what it was, but um, basically it was coming up with a bunch of security errors and they basically said, don't worry about it. I think it's probably Sneak. Oh, PMD maybe. Oh, I never heard of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and basically it, it's like, okay, maybe that's not relevant for this current course, but don't don't, just don't yes. say it's not important because it is important. And it, this, was, this wasn't like a minor vulnerability. I remember Flynn explained it, that he did some more research and saw that it was it was something major that you could not put onto a live production server. It'd be horrible. And like, that's, that's how they're being trained. And that's like, how can you expect, like, 
securely uh, work in the workforce when you've been trained for four or five whatever amount of years he's been studying and like an insecure man like you're not going to suddenly switch and like start thinking securely like it needs to be from you know day zero yeah or day one but even developers aside is something i always say is security is a business problem it's not just IT that deals with security which is a lot of the time uh, back to the information assets you can't hold information assets and IT handles it all. Yeah. Because, you know, finance is going to understand this information asset a lot better than IT is going to. Mm. It doesn't make sense. And a lot of people have this misassumption that IT just, IT will handle it. It doesn't work like that nowadays. Mm. Mm. It's, it's very interesting. Like one of the things we uh, recommend, and you probably would know as well, seeing your own compliance, is like we recommend restricting who has access to what kind of data and like keep it like strictly to business logic like only an analyst needs to see analyst related things yada yada and it's a big thing with like the macros and stuff like that is macros should only be who has a demonstrated business requirement because we know how powerful macros are you can get uh, and i can show you this you can ex- execute javascript or limited javascript in a pdf i can i yeah, I've seen yeah it's yeah great. it's so it's, it's so stupid, like, and people. This is how people get pwned, right? Yeah. And, and it works, and it keeps working. And companies know this is how you get pwned, and yet companies are still insecure to it, or still get pwned by us. And it, it's it's shocking because we know what we need to do to fix everything, but why are companies still failing? And it's like it's been like this for years. I think it, I think it's partially the guidance. Um, it's partially, and maybe it's a bit of a crazy assumption, but I think that. People are getting away with a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Go- I think it's go- like I think the government needs to step in and be a little bit more stern. Like, if you aren't like if you're not compliant with this framework by this time, you're not allowed to operate and whatever. And okay, maybe that's a bit far, but like, yeah. companies can't keep getting away with not adhering to known policies or known frameworks, known procedures, and they just keep doing. It, and the government's not caring, but we're seeing critical infrastructure getting pwned time and time again. I, I feel like. They, they don't have this drive, this push to be secure. They're like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll make myself secure when I get hacked. It's like yeah. you mentioned just before, it, it, it's a real big foundational issue and it's like trying to build a concrete house on top of, yeah. uh, like, pet, like sticks, right? Yeah. There's a, it's a real big issue with the foundations of developers, you know, even people who are working in cybersecurity now, not a lot of them would, would have an education in cybersecurity, right? They know what they've learned on the job but you know sometimes when you know if you get too comfortable in your position and you start to say okay this thing doesn't really matter that much because two years ago when i was looking at it there's no need for me to change it you know complacency is is everywhere i think the 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 government's even sort of dug themselves a hole here because they've been so negligent for so long and now that they're kind of taking this they are taking more of a approach like with the CBS two, three, four reviews that I was in. But the problem is is that because it's been so negligent for so long that now that they put these harsh like yeah. stuff on, nobody can do it. And yeah. it's like the CPS two three four stuff, they thought everyone thought it was quite light. And then the tripartite reviews came out and nobody was compliant. So it needs to be more of a stepping stone. Yeah, to, yes. Um and I think I think that's the problem with the whole twenty thirty approach is that it's just not realistic. It's setting it's itself like- up to failure. Well, you know, 2030, we're going to be the best ever. How are we actually going to get there? You yeah. Know, they've released this report, the strategy now, but the report, really, it's grossly oversimplified. There's not actually any concrete steps that they put in. Yes, they've said, yeah. they've said, okay, we're going to go from 
how we are now and look at filling the gaps and then we're going to look at expanding the amount of protection and then we're going to go further from that. But how actually are you going to do that? I think that's a big problem I have is that a lot of it feels like a front to save face. Yep. Yep. Um, even going back to recently in the news, uh, they've basically put sanctions on the person responsible for the Medibank breach. Uh, it's, I don't mean to completely discredit the work of the ASD and stuff like that because, you know, I suppose it's good to a degree that we know who's responsible for it. But realistically, then it's never going to affect them because they're it's a sanction on a Russian hacker that it doesn't matter really. Like it, they're, they're they not can't expedite. Him, yeah. Right? Um, they can't. <laughs> and also like, they're like, oh, you can't do business with this person, which a, that's kind of making ransomware illegal, which we've talked about if that's the right move or not. Um, and then also it's cryptocurrency. Like mean, there's ways around it anyway. Like how are you going to even track? Yeah. Depending on the cryptocurrency, like, uh, it's funny that we're, unlike Monero, which is a very privacy uh, oriented cryptocurrency, is Bitcoin, they refuse to like uh, accept payments in Bitcoin because uh, it's on the blockchain, right? So it's all like mathematically permanent. Yeah. Um, so there will forever be trace of what uh, where the money went, like what wallet went to, right? Even if they you know, went to several mixes and try to split it across a whole division of different wallets and then back into the one, yada yada. Yeah, there'll be forever a trail. Yeah. Uh, but plenty of seeing these ransomware operators wisen up a little bit because uh, they're now like, if you look at some online forums uh, through obvious methods, the only, only one way you can access it, I think everyone knows about Tor, yeah. um, but they're actually hiring pen testers. They're hiring security researchers. And they're like, how can we be more secure? Well, it's so it's funny. funny. Yeah. It's, it's so amusing seeing these criminal organizations care more about security than people that are making money. It's like, not only do they make money off of security, but they, you know, they're, they're screwing back in and reinvesting it themselves. I found that so amusing. Yeah, I, I thought sort of interesting and a funny thing that I learned was that, you know, they also have like 24-7 customers. Oh, yeah, there's, um, uh, I think it is Alfie Blackhead again, we spoke about it in the past, but they literally have like a support line where you open the ransomware and you just talk to it and be like, oh, this isn't working. One thing I did want to bring up, and this was going back to the Australian uh, government, how we can fix, I feel like there should be more, I wouldn't really say endorsement for security researchers, I, I just feel like there needs to be less limitations for an Australian researcher doing research on any kind of it's critical infrastructure. Like I, I feel like if I find some critical vulnerability, like I, I as a security researcher should not be scared to report it to the Australian government. Like I, I feel like... We've made great strides with bug bounty programs and all of these private ones as well. And like, I'm great to see that, you know, this is now slowly becoming a, more and more of a thing. But I feel like we need to, I don't want to say loosen the laws, but I feel like some white hat hacker uh, coming out to publicize any kind of research that they uh, have, they should not be fearing any kind of retribution from the Australian government or whatever um, company they just pwned. Like, yeah. a lot of the work we did was exactly like that. And that's how we got our customers. Like, we would say, hey, we found this critical issue in your environment. Like, we're not, yeah, we're not expecting you to pay us. This is the full-fledged report of how we did it. This is how you can fix it. This is why you should fix it. If you don't fix it between 30 to 90 days, we're going to the Australian government and we're showing, you know, what happened, how it happened. And we've done that a m number of times. But there seems to be this weird pushback where, like, uh, of companies going, like, you shouldn't even be looking. Like, why? Why are you looking at the first? Yeah, like it's kind of the wrong attitude. Going back to the the Russian sanctions on this guy, I I feel like it's the same thing. It was saving face. Where I, as I said, I think that it is valuable to an extent, but the way that it's been marketed is this is a big day in cybersecurity. Yeah, and it's like it's kind of taking away from the problem that 
why are, is this happening in the first place? Not, it's not because, well, it is because, you know, there's bad guys in Russia that want to steal our data, but why are we being targeted so much? Yeah. And why is it happening so frequently? I feel like if we can turn around and make a more of an environment or like a fellow researchers going about and actively looking at other companies, because currently what's happening is like some security researcher gets hired by some firm uh, or say some company to be part of some internal team. They're just sitting there and they're looking at their own alerts for their own company. They're not really like, you know, poking around looking at some random Australian university or something. Like I, I feel like there needs to be some more incentive for like security researchers to actually go out and find like, that's that's the purpose and goal of a bug bounty program. But uh, what companies need to go out and sign up for these programs? I feel like there should be some kind of like a law implemented where like even if they're not part of a program, if some kind of of like critical issue or vulnerability is found, or it doesn't even have to be critical, any kind of issue that can be exploited is found, they should be able to go to this company and say like, hey, I found this. Like, do with it what you will. Like, hopefully you'll fix it. Yada yada yada. It's actually interesting you say that, like, law with bug bounties, because maybe that's something that could go into a framework. I've never seen that before. You know, penetration testing. Bug bounties is probably something we could do. Although, I know... Oh, yes, absolutely not. Um, And, you know, some people get this misconception that, oh, we've got a bug bounty out there, so... Wouldn't that be such an interesting law to be passed? Uh, Or, like, a regulation by APRA that you must have? So it would be a good incentive to... Get our offensive security up. Like you just make a couple of crazy hacker kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, and make Australia more secure at the same time. And yeah. it put some more money into the cybersecurity community. Yeah, look, I, I honestly, I love cybersecurity in the sense it's just such a fun industry. Like, um, I'm glad that I really got heavily into CTFs and whatnot. I'm thinking my my profile for hack the box. I'm like 750th in the strip. No, actually, I'm not, I might have it off. Um, not in Australia. It might be even in the world. I'm sorry. Um, wow. But it's funny, I did, if you look at the profile, like, uh, there's not enough people engaging in these, in these communities. And, like, if all of those people, like, uh, me included, are uh, being top 1% and, like, try hacking, it's that difficult, right? Yeah, I see that. I was talking to someone about this the other day when they're like, oh, I want to get the top, top 1%. I was like, do you know how many people on LinkedIn I see that yeah. top 1%? <laughs> it's not, it's not, like, top 0.1%, then uh, I'll be a little bit impressed. But, like, it's just, it shows me how much time you've invested in these things. But what I really like it for is it's, it gamifies the entire process and all those skills that you learn from those is directly applicable to pen testing. And it's nice, like, uh, I now see it as a sport. Like, uh, I don't just target companies or anything, like, you know, just for like monetary gain. Like, I'm not, I get paid well enough. I'm not interested in monetary gain, but doing it for the sport, doing it for engagement, it's just so much fun. It's like a, it's a really cool, it's the rush when you get the flag. <laughs> when you get a win, there's nothing like that. It's especially, as I said, I've kind of been going back to square one and doing it. Um, you know, sometimes you do get those frustrations when you can't figure out something. So, you know, it's even better when you're stuck on something for so long and then you, and you, and then you get the win. Yeah. Something I might just bring up is that I've recently discovered and we're having a little chat about a um, an AI pen testing game that we've discovered. I thought it was pretty unpopping. Mm-hmm. So it's called Tensor Trust. It's where you get to try and attack other people's uh, AI and the AI that they have made and they need to defend. It, you're able to give prompts to um, suggest ways to defend it. And, like, it, it's hard to sort of explain, but it's a really, really fun game. It's just another one to add on the list of, uh, of cool um, CTF games. Yeah. And, you know, AI is going to be a big problem yeah. in the future. Oh, have you guys seen Have you seen the Rabbit one? It's, an, it's a new AI. So, you know, what are some of the limitations with GPT? Like, just off the top of your head. 
uh, I'd say one thing that I've been finding recently is contextualization. That's yeah. It gets a lot of questions wrong. Yeah, that gets a lot wrong. It's getting more and more restrictive, which I'm quite upset by. But like, what I'm talking about is its inability to do things for you. Like, you know, have you heard of like agents, which came out like four to six months ago, they had this whole thing, like you have a little, little, uh, little agents that are able to execute functionality for you. Like they can go visit a site if there isn't proper like protection. Right. So, yeah. But this new thing uh, called Rabbit R1, and uh, so it's some Chinese company based in the US. Um, I, actually, I don't think it's a Chinese company, sorry. The founder is Chinese. Um, but I, and I bought this product and I'm still waiting for it. Uh, I'm very eager to test it, but it, uh, is, if you give it your, say, like uh, credentials for Spotify, Instagram, bank, it'll just say, say theoretically everything. Yeah. It can perform actions for you. Like, hey, can you make a booking for this restaurant? Can you transfer X amount to this guy? Yada, yada. Have a look at this. Uh, a rabbit with a specific device for it. It's like four gigs around, 120 gigs of storage, uh, some it's got a camera, four megapixels. Tell you what's funny. Um, Bing.ai or Copilot now, Microsoft Copilot. I recently got access to Copilot and I've been messing with it because it's funny how stupid it is. <laughs> um, because it's basically just Bing. And I can convince it sometimes to do things it shouldn't, but it's not even correct. I convinced it to <laughs> I convinced it to do an Nmap scan or similar functionality of my website, and it didn't even get it right at all. No, this <laughs> and uh, I wonder it like gave me the wrong IP, like wrong everything, and I was like, okay, so I got something there, but it's completely wrong. It was it's strange, it, but it, interestingly enough, CES twenty twenty four. That's where I heard about Rabbit R one. I knew it was familiar, but um, yeah. CS 2024, that was cool. Yeah, new the tech. new monitors at 4K, 240 hertz, OLED, 32 inch. Yeah. I'm going to grab one. Man, they look absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on, Cohen. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. And um, yeah, can't wait to see you next time. Thank yeah. you for having me. I look forward to returning once more. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that the Cyber Minutes podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Have a cybersecurity question? Send an email to cyberminutespodcast at gmail.com as we'd love to answer it. Stay cyber safe.